Hey guys, welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. I hope you're doing well. I hope your holidays and Christmas season are off to a great start. Uh, don't let the lefties get you down. Don't let them tell you you can't celebrate uh, the prenatal Christ entering into human history together in the fellowship of uh, believers. But thank you for tuning in. We're going to be bringing you a special episode today. I'm actually speaking to you from my living room today because our second baby is due any day now, and so I couldn't be in studio uh, the week of Thanksgiving. But we wanted to bring you this special episode and conversation in a pastor's roundtable webinar that Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel Chino Hills had me on recently. And this is an exclusive access content. This is usually only available to those who are subscribed into the pastor's roundtable webinar with Jack Hibbs that live in California. But this was a special conversation and we just wanted to get out the pro-life church and get out Christians and Christian leaders and pastors to engage the culture because 2021 is either going to propel the pro-life movement forward considerably through a second administration of the Trump administration, or it's going to set back the pro-life movement's legislative efforts by literally decades, overturning decades of hard work on behalf of our unborn neighbors. And I want you to stay tuned to the end. We have a special call for pastors and a special opportunity from Jack Hibbs himself to your church and to your pastoral team. Thank you for tuning in. Buckle up. Here we go. Seth Gruber has become our friend um, through this past year, getting to know him, uh, bringing him into the church to speak at some of our events and our Sunday services. And we are just so impressed with this, this man because he has such a powerful message for the church, for the believer, about how we can defend the most defenseless, the unborn. Um, Seth has um, got to know us pretty well, and, and we keep inviting him back because I think that after you hear from Seth today, that you're going to want to bring him out to your church too. And Seth is willing to do that. Um, Seth Gruber is one of the youngest pro-life speakers. He started when he was 19 years old, traveling across the country, making a case for life. And he's very effective. He's very passionate. He knows what he's talking about. And he's not going to only give you facts, but he's going to talk about the, the, the spiritual aspect of it, the biblical reasons why we as Christians defend the unborn. And doing it at church, it's legal. We can do this at our churches. And we've been doing it for since the beginning of this church, um, defending the most defenseless. And so Seth is going to talk about uh, this coming January is Sanctity of Life Month, and there are things that you can do at your church which are legal. Hey guys, thank you so much for staying tuned in this special episode. As you well know, 2021 is going to be a firestorm of a year for life and liberty. And the pro-life movement is either going to be propelled forward considerably or be set back considerably. And so we need your help to reach more people, to get pro-life ideas in front of people, on social media, on the streets, where the pro-life movement might be forced to go as our voices silence more and more on social media, which will only increase, obviously, under a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris administration. And so if you want to become a patron of the show, go to Patreon patreon.com forward slash unaborted. There's a lot of ministries to support, but hey, if this show and content has been helpful for you, your support enables us to create more content, more episodes a week, and expand our team to be able to film interactive content on college campuses, 
on the streets, in churches, and youth groups, and be able to provide more types of content to equip and train those who are already pro-life, while also encouraging those who are not to reconsider their views by examining ideas and evidence that they haven't considered or seen before. Check out our tiers at patreon.com forward slash unaborted, and you'll get special perks and access as you support the show. Thank you so much, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Let me let me share this, you guys. I got to tell you what Gina's man. I'm telling you, Seth. Seth brought us a message on a Sunday morning that he had delivered here at at one of the events that we that we hosted, and it was so powerful. I just said, Seth, just come back, please, and give it to the church on a Sunday morning. His effect on his generation in our church, so I'm going to say 20, oh, I'll go 16, 18, 20 to 30 years of age, their jaws dropped. Nobody moved. And his message transformed people's worldview on on life. It was brilliant. I encourage all of you, uh, you've got to get Seth to your church. And I'm telling you, we're so impressed with him. Uh, we will help make that happen. Uh, to get Seth to your church, uh, you've got to do it. Be, especially if you've got young people, they need to hear from him. Ladies and gentlemen, Seth Gruber. So, okay. Seth, go for it. We've already introduced you. Uh, don't blow Wonderful. it now because we've really talked you up. <laughs> well, my name is Seth Gruber. I'm the West Coast Director for Life Training Institute. We're an elite but small team of professional pro-life speakers. And Pastor Jack, as well as Pastor Rob McCoy, have become my new favorite pastors in the entire country. And so if you're tuning into this uh, and you don't think that Jack Hibbs is the uh, political hack that so many accuse him of, but you see him as promoting righteousness and restraining evil and asking and pleading with the church to use their voice and begin loving their neighbor with their vote, not ending, beginning with our most basic civic duty, which is to fill in the bubble that could quite literally end the genocide of baby image bearers. That's where our duty to love our neighbor friends starts, not where it ends. And so joining Pastor Jack recently, Chino Hills, as well as Pastor Robert McCoy, just this last Sunday, actually November 1st, um, has really felt like coming home for me because as a pro-life speaker and Christian, you can imagine on this issue, um, I have to, have to go around justifying my career to pastors um, who criticize me, critique me for, uh, you know, politicizing the pulpit um, or sacrificing my witness by speaking to an issue that might put a sort of a roadblock in the way to the gospel, rather than recognizing that we're operating out of the gospel, recognizing God's two greatest commandments, to love him and to love your neighbor. And if the unborn is our neighbor, then our duty to love them must begin with our vote and go obviously from there where we're actually getting our hands dirty and being the hands and feet of Christ to preborn children. So I just wanted to talk a little bit and then uh, Jack, Gina, feel free to interrupt me whenever uh, and we can shift to any type of conversations. But I kind of want to just begin as to why I believe what I do is important. And maybe you're thinking, duh, Seth, we get it. But maybe, maybe not. Maybe you haven't preached on abortion before. Uh, maybe you have, but it's been a long time at your church. And so I just kind of want to maybe provide the spiritual and theological scaffolding of this conversation, if you will, to fill in the gaps. Um, I believe particularly why what I do is so important. And unfortunately, the reason I kind of have a job 
um, is because the church has been so silent on abortion. And so I just want to come alongside churches and say, I just want to fill in some of those gaps and help you build out the full counsel of God and give you confidence to engage on these conversations. And guess what? I don't want to be invited back all the time because I want pastors to be reasserting their moral and spiritual duty to speak on these issues that could quite literally motivate people to get off the bench, get their boots on the ground and protect the pre-born. I want that coming from the pastors in the pulpits. Eventually, I don't want to have be asked to fly around and speak at churches because it would be coming so regularly from the pulpit of the leaders in that church. But here's the thing, confusion and fear leads to apathy. And I think many of you have seen this in your churches, right? And probably in your youth groups. Many of you watching this probably have a majority of your church who would identify as pro-life. But I think you and I both know that if pressed on what would you say to a woman who has been raped, whose life is in danger, uh, you shouldn't be speaking to this because you're a man and you have the wrong genitalia and you don't have a uterus. You need to keep the politics, uh, the pulpit out of politics. You shouldn't be telling people how to live. A lot of Christian pro-lifers, they freeze up, don't they? And they go, uh, so we have the right orthodoxy, if you will. We have the right belief system, but oftentimes we don't know how to articulate it or defend it, right? First Peter says to always be prepared to give a defense to those who would ask you for the hope that you have. Well, that's the eternal hope in the gospel. But shouldn't we also be prepared to give a defense as to how that gospel, how that truth provides lenses through which we see the world, how the gospel is applied to issues? And what is a bigger issue today than the issue of abortion? It always ranks was one of the most important top issues because it has to do with life itself. However, clarity and courage leads to responsibility. When the abortion issue is no longer just really confusing and overwhelming to you, but it's crystal clear and you have moral and spiritual clarity on it, and then you have courage because you've been given the tools you need to engage on that issue, that leads to responsibility. Because people are like, now I know what to do, and I feel empowered on how to do it. So that's what I do. In one sermon, I want to take people from moral confusion, spiritual confusion and fear, to moral, spiritual, political clarity and courage. Now I know how to engage. So I want to create ambassadors for the unborn, which ought to flow out of our role as ambassadors for Christ. So it's a propitious moment that we're living in right now, right? It's time to pray, vote, stand. It is time to stand. Guys, studies have shown that about 12% of churches in America have an active pro-life initiative. And guess what? I think that's generous. A new Pew Research um, Center analysis from just last year, I believe, uh, 2019, found that just 4% of sermons shared on U.S. church websites in the spring of 2019 discussed abortion even once. And the study went on to say that even when that word was mentioned, it was rarely repeated. So it was probably not an entire sermon. You know what I mean? On abortion, it was probably just a segment within a larger sermon. I mean, that is a that is a horrible critique on the bride of Christ, right? Francis Schaeffer once said that every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of Jesus Christ. And that is a heartbreaking truth for the church to hear. We have been complicit through the sin of omission and commission. Some of us through the sin of, of commission, because we've told people maybe who are pregnant contemplating abortion that uh, God will forgive you right? Or through the sin of omission, just never talking about it. And then largely, I think the sin of the omission in the church in general in the last 50 years in America has been removing ourselves from the public square, removing ourselves from the ecclesia. And when we did that, guess who filled in those gaps? Leftists who hate God. Now they need the gospel. We need to be building those bridges. But these are people who recognize the political power they could get by promoting abortion, getting people with their worldview 
to run into those positions of power and enshrining abortion rights. And now California, where we are, performs the biggest truckload of abortions of any state in the country. So we've abdicated our spiritual responsibility. And so I understand this is overwhelming because it's like, wow, is this a big job description? I mean, this is the greatest human rights violation in human history. But what are small steps we can take? Well, those first steps I want to take with you guys as we lead up to January, to sanctity of human life. And guess what? To the 48th anniversary since Roe versus Wade, over 63 million, and that's a conservative estimate, babies have been killed since 1973. This is a politically propitious moment. We can no longer sit on the bench anymore, friends. So what I want to start with, with you guys very briefly, and then what I would love to partner with you in any way, uh, if we can get a donor to underwrite a check to pay you to let me come speak, we'll do that. Whatever it takes to get into these churches, because I want to build this scaffolding within the mind of the church that would lead to action. And then give you the tools to continue doing that on a regular basis and building a culture of life and putting life in the DNA of your church so that you don't need to partner with a pro-life speaker to communicate these ideas anymore. But we start with moral clarity, right? Simply the science says that human life begins at the moment of conception. So you don't even have to make this case from the Bible, though we will and we can. We start with just saying these are humans, right? And, and that's clear. The philosophical defense is simply that, listen, any argument you offer to defend the killing of the unborn, friends can be turned right around to justify killing us. Why is that? Because the only thing that we all have in common as humans is a human nature. And that human nature began at the moment of conception. So as soon as we accept this premise, okay, that says that not all humans are persons, that's the fundamental argument of the pro-choice worldview. They acknowledge the unborn is biologically human, but not persons. Once we accept that, what we do, friends, is we actually destroy human equality. Because the only thing we have in common is the human nature, which began at conception. So if we say, no, it's actually your functions, it's your ability to feel pain, it's whether you're viable, it's whether you're conscious. As soon as we do that and we say, until the unborn has those functions or capacities, they're not persons with the right to life. As Lincoln pointed out when he was blasting slavery supporters, we've actually put in place the premises that justify our own enslavement because we differ from one another in the same ways the unborn differs from us. We differ according to our consciousness. We may be knocked out in a fight or we may be sleeping. According to feeling pain, people with congenital analgesia, if you slip their wrist, can't feel anything. Can we kill them? Do you see what I mean? So the argument to kill the unborn cannot be confined to the womb. So that's how we start with moral clarity. Spiritual clarity, we simply make the point that human beings are created in the image of God. And we forget this beautiful truth sometimes. I mean, this means that the God who is chilling with the, the Son and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity with himself, just started having fun and breathing out the Milky Way and dropping oceans and laughing animals into existence. And then says, I make you as the peak and pinnacle of my creation. And look at this world I made for you. Look at this. It's a blank canvas. It's all for you. Be stewards of it. Have fun. I mean, this is an incredible truth. The divine spark of the creator of the universe resides in our souls from the moment that we're conceived. That's an eternal soul. My wife is eight months pregnant with our second child, our third one is in heaven through miscarriage earlier this year. But that child from the moment she was conceived was an eternal soul being held in a womb that Christ himself created. And remember, Christ himself entered human history in a womb that he created. I mean, these are beautiful truths. So if every human being is created in the image of God and the unborn is a human being, which the science says, then the unborn is an image bearer of God. This is why you've got the prenatal John the Baptist doing backflips in the womb when Mary walks into the room pregnant with the creator of the universe. I mean, we're about to celebrate that, aren't we? Incarnation, mind blown for every Christian. That is, that is a truth we cannot wrap our minds around. So these... The unborn children are image bearers of God. 
So how are we to love them? We're called to love our neighbor, right? And this is what made the question of the parable of, of the lawyer and the parable of the Good Samaritan so offensive. You remember, pastors? Yep. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Oh, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Nails it. Nails it. Probably has a pretty good hermeneutic. Must have an MDiv. Summarize all the law and the prophets in two. And then he, and then, uh, he says, in order to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? And pastors, I want you to think about this truth. There is no other class of human beings today to whom the question is more frequently directed. Are they really our neighbor? than the unborn image bearers in our midst. And sometimes that question or that assumption, are they really though? Are they really our neighbor? Are they really persons? Sometimes that question is coming from American pulpits. Now, not maybe your pulpits, but increasingly pulpits like, okay, don't hang up on me yet, Tim Keller, who says in a Facebook post one month ago yep. that, the, that the Bible teaches me abortion is a sin and a great evil. So what? He has orthodoxy right. He has the right belief. But it didn't lead to orthopraxy because in that same Facebook post, he said, well, the current political parties offer a potpourri of different positions on these and many, many other issues. And the Bible doesn't tell us actually the best way to decrease or end abortions in this country. And then he says, this means when it comes to voting, determining alliances and political involvement, and I am quoting verbatim, the Christian has liberty of conscience. Now, he has written in a New York Times article that you're probably aware of, aren't you, pastors, a 2018 article called How Do Christians Fit Into a Two-Party System? They Don't, right? Very popular, gets shared like crazy every election cycle or gubernatorial. And in that article, if you've read it, pastors, you may remember he kind of rips into 1850s Christians. I mean, like pretty gnarly. And he, he cr criticizes 1850s Christians in America for not acting politically to protect the slave. In fact, he says by abdicating their political duty, meaning what he means by that is simply not voting. So he wasn't even criticizing the many Christians who said they were Christians in 1850s for voting for the party of slavery. And we'd all, we all know what party that was. He actually purely focuses his criticism on their political neutrality, on just not voting. And you know what he says? He says, in so doing, quote, they were supporting the social status quo, which was what? Slavery. And then he says to not be political is to be political. I mean, this sounds like Jack Hibbs. This sounds like Rob McCoy, right? So he says that our black brothers and sisters in the 1850s deserved legal protections and political neutrality from the church was sin. Yeah. That's the case he makes. But then for our preborn image bearers, apparently their blood doesn't run deep enough or hot enough for pastors to intervene politically because he says actually on that issue, which is wrong for the same reasons that slavery is wrong because in each case, human beings were denied personhood. On that issue, you actually have freedom to vote for whatever party you want, okay? So this type of spiritual confusion is invading the culture. And as someone who speaks in Protestant and Catholic high schools, youth groups, churches, et cetera, I can tell you pastors that this moral and spiritual confusion is being infected to the next generation. And that's very dangerous because we're going to hand the reins of this republic to them and the, hand, and the reins of the pro-life movement to them. So the, to develop spiritual clarity, we simply have to make the case that the Bible doesn't have to condemn abortion for us to know that it is wrong. It teaches us that human beings are made in the image of God and we're called to love our unborn neighbors. And the second part of the Great Commission is to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, to disciple disciples. Well, one of those commandments that God kind of cares about a lot is the shedding of innocent blood, right? Proverbs says, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. And if we want to know how God views abortion from a spiritual uh, landscape, it's how he views child sacrifice in the Old Testament. I mean, he doesn't pull any punches. He tells his people that it never entered my mind from Jeremiah 
that you would do this, do this, what? Sacrifice your babies to Molech with the Canaanites. I mean, this is radical stuff. Of course, God knew he's using language to say, this is so evil and ridiculous. I didn't ever think you'd, you'd have a part in this. And unfortunately, the church has had a part in abortion because of absence from moral teaching from the pulpit. And so we have over 30% of abortions, according to the Guttmacher Institute, Planned Parenthood Statistical Research Branch, over 30% of the annual abortions are being performed on women who already identify as Protestant evangelicals. And then if you lump in those who identify as Catholic who are getting abortions, that number goes even higher. So one of the reasons I think the church has failed to be an adequate voice for the unborn in the culture outside of the walls of their church is because they're failing to deal with the issue inside the walls of their church. And, you know, the silence is really loud from our pulpits. And that silence, that deafening silence, you know what it's doing? It leads to apathy. But it also leads to permissibility because a woman who is contemplating an abortion, who is afraid, freaked out, and has other voices in her ears telling her that it's okay because it's reproductive health care. And then she goes to her church and hears nothing from her pastor. Do you know what the assumption is in the mind of a young man or young woman? It must not be that big of a deal because if it was a big deal, surely my pastor would speak to it. Do you see what I mean? The silence is really loud. And that deafening silence is what led Francis Schaeffer to say what he said. So if we have moral clarity that these are humans and there's no such thing as a human non-person, and we have spiritual clarity that they're image bearers of God and human beings and God hates the shedding of and blood, that ought to lead to political clarity. This doesn't mean that we become political hacks. It doesn't mean that we make an idol out of politics. That would be idolatry. It simply means that we vote to promote righteousness and restrain evil in so far as we can, given current political realities. So Proverbs 24, 11 says, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. Proverbs thir- uh, 31, 8 says to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, ensure justice for those being crushed. And if you've seen abortion imagery pastors, you know that abortion literally crushes little baby image bearers. And then the Bible tells us to seek the good of the city where I've sent you in exile. You know, maybe you're thinking, well, Seth, that was said to the Israelites. That's right. But we are also exiles in this land for our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior. So like the Israelites, we should seek the good of the city or the country that God has placed us in. But you cannot seek the good of America, of the city that we're exiled in, while neglecting to use your political voice, which is your vote, which would quite literally end the genocide of God's baby image bearers being killed at the tune of a million a year. James tells us that whoever knows the right thing to do but fails to do it, for him it is sin. So if we have the ability to use that political voice in a way that could end genocide, we should do that. That is the right thing to do. This isn't about being hacked. This is about putting our faith in the public square as the only institution that can hold government to account. Mm. Pastor Jack has made this point beautifully before, but you guys know that there's a reason why communist regimes have always gone after the church first. Because they recognize they're the only institution that could provide a reasonable resistance to that evil and to hold government account. This is why you've got Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Eberhard Bethke and Martin Niemöller saying that we're the confessing church. Pastors, I want you to think for one second about how scandalous that was, what he did. In calling themselves the confessing church, do you know what these gentlemen were insinuating, brothers and sisters? That the German Christians who were silent on the genocide of Jews, or worse yet, were being co-opted by the German government in order to support the Holocaust, were not the Church of Christ. I mean, that is a gnarly thing to say, because Bonhoeffer was saying, we're confessing true Christianity. And whatever faith you're confessing, if you're silent on the genocide of image bearers, do you know what Dietrich was insinuating? You might not be preaching the same Jesus. 
That's right. I mean, that is a, that's a gnarly thing to say. But if I say that from pulpits today, I mean, I wouldn't be invited back into most pulpits. Now, I know I can share this with you guys, but listen, if abortion is wrong for the same reasons that slavery and the Holocaust were wrong, which we know they're wrong for the same reasons, then why doesn't the unborn deserve the same political protection and political solutions in the restoration of personhood and consequences for killing them as our black brothers and sisters did and as our Jewish brothers and sisters did? Hey guys, thank you for staying tuned into this special episode with Pastor Jack Hibbs and pastors from all around the state of California who tuned in to this roundtable discussion to get equipped to engage. And thanks to Pastor Jack's partnership with me and our ministry, I have the first eight or nine Sundays in 2021 already booked at churches around the state. And we want you to be equipped to engage as well. And we want to have a special exciting offer for you in just a little bit. So stay tuned. But we want to tell you about a new sponsor of Unaborted. We want to partner with organizations, ministries, companies who have a similar and worldview and vision for the country and for life. And so I can't think of a better company than the pro-life company that creates pro-life apparel called Be Blessed Baby. This will make a great Christmas present for people in your life or family members now. Be Blessed Baby is a new company trying to make a difference in the fight for the unborn. Be Blessed Baby sells pro-life clothing for babies and adults, and it's a unique way to help raise money for pregnancy centers who are on the front lines of this fight. The goal of Be Blessed Baby is to help save as many babies as they can from abortion. So to get your apparel now, go to BeBlessedBaby.com. That's BeBlessedBaby.com and show the world that you are proudly pro-life. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. So Unfortunately, we're seeing more and more major pastors fold on these matters, including John Piper, who's kind of just said that the personal sin of pride, if you read his article, is sort of morally equivalent to the cultural sin of abortion. And listen, the Bible is very clear on individual and cultural sins, okay? The Bible is very clear. The Bible says that if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery. It says if you envy your neighbor's property, that that's in the spiritual landscape is the same as theft, right? So God makes this very clear. But do we really believe that me envying someone's property is the same thing culturally as Antifa and BLM burning down property and stealing their things that they're trying to sell to support their families? No, right? So we understand that from a biblical standpoint, there's a difference between the the sin of envy and actually robbing. Similarly, there's a difference between the sin of pride, which ultimately leads to death, which was Piper's point in this article, and the sin of abortion, which results in immediate death of one one million image bearers. So we need to be equipped as pastors and pro-life individuals to call out these types of things that create, ready, moral confusion, spiritual confusion, which boy, I'll tell you, John Piper's article created a lot of spiritual confusion and it gave Christians their defense because they honor him and respect him so much, their defense to not vote and political confusion. But these things go hand in hand because I don't believe in a compartmentalized Christianity. I believe in a comprehensive Christianity. So um, as we sort of shift here and maybe chat, chat a little bit more with the time we have left, I want to share a little bit about what you guys can do practically leading to the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And I'm going to plead with you to do something because this is one of the most politically propitious moments um, in my lifetime. Okay, I'm 29. Um, and and I've been, so I've been alive for more than half of the time we've had legalized abortion. And I've never seen such a politically propitious moment to advance righteousness and start with restoring the right to life to those who are being denied it. You guys, uh, you just heard from Seth more logic, reason, 
argumentation, biblical orthodoxy. There's no way that what he just shared can be refuted in the realm of reason. This is exactly why, Seth, remind me that I'm going to say that I've said this. Here's the deal. You guys who are listening, um, Calvary Chapel Chuny Hills is not going to pay you to have Seth come. But I tell you what, uh, I am now, right now in my mind, I'm carving out a, a budget number that we will invest in getting Seth's flight to you, his honorarium, um, so that this message can be shared up and down this state. Okay, yeah. so officially right now, Seth, we'll, we'll adopt you as, as a missionary of life. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank um, you. And get this done. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to get this message to the young people of your church uh, because you guys just got 20 minutes of pure, pure logic, which your young people are dying to hear and they don't even know it. That's right. Young people are craving clarity right now. This yes. is something that we've seen with Charlie Kirk and Turning Point USA, haven't we? That young people are asking deeper and deeper questions. And I, I just had this conversation with a phenomenal Christian leader in Orange County this morning who, who helps disciple disciples. And that was one of the things we were talking about. I think part of this is due to our divide culturally and politically, right? We're more divided than we've been maybe since 1850s and 60s, right? Because slavery was a litmus test of the Republic and abortion is the litmus test of our Republic because it denies the fundamental premise of our Republic, which is the right to life and natural right that comes from God and government is created to recognize and protect. So anytime you call in first principles, you call into question first principles, there's going to be a lot of division. And now we've seen how every other right begins to deteriorate after the right to life deteriorates. And so now we're more divided than we ever have been before. And so young people are creating clarity. And so that's why I do interactive Q&A with youth groups and faith-based high schools for the whole school day. When I speak at these schools, I speak for like seven hours and I can see the cognitive dissonance in real time in young people who have pro-choice ideas and they don't know how to respond to my good answers. And then I have pro-life students come up to me and be like, oh my gosh, can I be a full-time pro-life activist? I've never heard those answers before. And some of your adults in your congregation need that too. And so I, we have seen life trajectories change at our organization through one presentation. We've also seen the DNA of entire churches, individual churches change through one presentation. This is not because I'm that gifted. It's because reality tends to be self-evident. And when we challenge the fantasy that not all humans are persons or that some humans can take away the right to life of other humans, and we examine those ideas that underpin these arguments, reality comes to the surface and greets us for the friend that he is and slaps us in the face sometimes when we need it. And when that happens, we should do as Jesus says and turn the other cheek and say, thank you, reality. So all I try to do is to put words to that reality in a persuasive and winsome manner so people recognize it for the objective truth that it is and are equipped to defend that position. So I know it might sound crazy, like really this 29-year-old, who the heck is this guy? One presentation, one sermon, what's that going to do? Well, it puts life at the center of your church. It makes it part of the DNA of your church. Not because you're trying to earn God's love or approval, all right? Being pro-life is simply the correct response of the heart to the gospel, isn't it? If we're to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, the unborn, guess what? Christ spoke up for us first, right? First John says that he is our advocate who pleads our case before the Father, right? So what's an advocate? Someone that speaks up for someone else. So if Christ spoke up for us when we were utterly incapable of doing so, right, and, and in so doing, hung on the cross and said, here's eternal salvation if you want it, how could we not speak up for unborn children who literally cannot speak up for themselves? 
So this flows out of the gospel itself. This is entirely Christian and gospel centered. And so that's what it can help doing is having me out is putting that at the center of your church and sending people out equipped and encouraged. So what can you do? Start with that. Take advantage of Pastor Jack's offer. Seriously, that was so generous. I'm like so humbled and encouraged right now. I will fly out. You won't have to pay for that. You don't have to pay me. Just give me a cup of coffee before I go speak. And we're going to change minds, change hearts and save lives. So that's the first and most important thing. And if I'm too booked in January, just have me in February. We'll figure it out. Secondly, make sure at Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, when you when you do have a pro-life Sunday, okay, it doesn't have to be the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. I can only be in one place at a time. But when you address life in your church, introduce the director of your local pregnancy resource center to your church. Okay, give them five minutes, followed by my sermon. Give them a table in the back of the church, okay? And then I'm going to talk up the pregnancy resource center by name and by their services as well during my sermon. Because this is a this is sort of a critique on the church, okay? Most pregnancy resource centers, and guess what? My mother was directing one when she was pregnant with me, all right? So I was, I was an embryonic pro-life activist. So I've been in these waters for a long time. And listen, most pregnancy resource centers are underfunded and understaffed. And most of them, because I keynote their banquets all around the country, you know what they tell to me? Uh, yeah, we have maybe two or three churches in the city or community that support us. I mean, that is scandalous. And so encourage the people at your church to give uh, financially. Your church, from the tithing, from the money, should be giving financially to the local PRC. Okay, so have them out in conjunction with having me out. Or if you can't bring me out, it doesn't work, whatever, team up with them anyway. It's okay, this is not about me. And then thirdly, begin a pro-life ministry in your church. Okay, as I mentioned earlier, it's estimated about 12% of churches have an active pro-life initiative at their church. I think that's too generous, okay? So this is scandalous. The church should be the ones on the front lines. You remember the early church, the history of the early church, don't you, pastors? Why were we so ethnically diverse? We were saving infants of different ethnicities that were abandoned on the side of the road. <laughs> so the very DNA of the early church was what? Rescuing unwanted babies. <laughs> How could that not be the DNA of us today? Rescuing unwanted, unborn babies. Now, no, no child is an unwanted child. They're made in the image of God and there's an adoption waiting list. But you know what I mean? So I team up with the organization Love Life love life out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And their goal is to put a Christian witness outside every abortion clinic in the country. Okay. My buddies at Love Life are right now talking to the directors who lead the pro-life initiative at Chino Hills. They are talking to people at Godspeed Calvary Chapel. They are talking to people at Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. And there has not been a Love Life chapter in California. So I'm working with them in my California stuff or all over the country to get these started. This organization, pastors exist to help equip, disciple, and train a couple individuals in your church so they don't feel overwhelmed by the prospect of starting a pro-life ministry. You can then tune into live digital prayer and worship sessions outside abortion clinics while joining people all around the country who are outside their local abortion mills praying and worshiping. I want you to imagine what would happen if, if four churches, no, two churches in every, not city, county, two churches in every county in America put a Christian witness outside that abortion mill or abortion mills every day they performed abortions. Let me tell you something. We would bankrupt the abortion industry in a matter of years and the politics would soon follow because culture ten tends to be downstream. Politics tends to be down. Uh, culture tends to be upstream from politics. Politics is downstream from culture. Uh, studies from pro-life organizations have found, ready for this, almost 80% of women driving into an abortion parking lot will turn around and leave and go home if there are people outside on the sidewalk, not yelling and screaming, not saying you're a baby murderer, just praying, maybe holding a sign saying, we'll adopt your baby. So what does that tell you, pastors? That tells you eternity is written on the heart of man. 
And God's reign falls on the just and the unjust. And so even a woman who is at such a scary low point in her life that she is rationalizing the murder of an unborn baby still has a still small voice in her head, doesn't she? That says, don't do this. This is wrong. Because why? She has shame associated with being seen by others going into that facility. If she was just getting a polyp removed or a tumor removed, would she be turning around and leaving if people were outside? Of course not. So that tells us that this is a spiritual opportunity, not just to save babies, but to put new believers into the kingdom of God, whose heart is more ripe and ready for the gospel than a man or woman who is at such a low point that they're rationalizing the murder of a baby. So Love Life's impact in Charlotte, North Carolina, where they started, has been so spiritually significant that you ready? They sometimes have stories of abortion staff workers telling scared young women in their abortion mill to come back next Saturday because there will be people out here who will love you. That's how gnarly and spiritually significant their impact has been, that abortion staff workers are telling scared women with unplanned pregnancies that, you know, the Christians are a lot better than us. And if you really want help, they'll probably give you everything you need. Mm -hmm. So I'm helping them get pro-life initiatives and ministry started at churches all over the place so that my speaking in your church is not a one-off. Okay. It's not a box for you to check that you've done the pro-life thing. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of the church rising up and ending, ending the genocide of baby image bearers. So please take advantage of Pastor Jack's offer. I think that we're going to see a big change in the pro-life movement in this next year, either because of the encouragement of four more years of the most pro-life president in American history that will put jet fuel into the missile of the pro-life movement, right. or by the recognition that we now have the most dangerous political ticket to the unborn in American history. And so people are going to respond to the call to action. Either way, I think it's going to be massive. And I just want to play a small part in getting the bride of Christ whose savior entered human history in a womb to protect all other babies created in the image of that prenatal Christ who also find themselves in the very location that Christ entered human history in a womb. Amen. Seth, we're going to let these guys uh, go back to work. They gave us their lunch hour before we cut everyone loose. How do they get in touch with you? Give us that contact information. Go to my website, sethgruber.com. You can, you can contact me through there, or you can also email me. You ready for the two easy emails? Seth at sethgruber.com, seth at sethgruber.com, or seth at prolifetraining.com. Seth at prolifetraining.com, seth at sethgruber.com, or sethgruber.com, the website. Email me, reach out to me. We'll start a conversation and get something going. Okay, guys, in closing, uh, if you're serious about having... Seth, out to your church. Um, you can get a hold of uh, Gina. Let her know. Obviously, you can let Seth know as well. And we will do everything we can to, to get him to you. And I especially want to put the invite out there to churches that you think you're out of the way or you're too small or no one comes our direction. We're an hour from the airport. Who would ever make the journey? That's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're committed. Uh, Seth is a missionary uh, of life for us. And Seth, thank you so much, brother. Gina, closing words? Uh, Seth, that was fabulous. Thank you yep. so much. We are always encouraged by what you have to say. And I know that you have made a profound impact upon the congregation here. So we're looking forward to um, getting you out to some of the churches here in California 
and let's see what the Lord does with that. And maybe we'll have a different California in a few years. But um, I just want to encourage everyone um, for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. And we hope that next January, when we get back together, you'll be able to invite others to join us. And let's just grow this and get other uh, churches, other pastors all on the same page talking about these important things. And um, we're just here for the long haul. And we want to support you also. Just let us know how we can serve you. And yeah. Pastor Jack. Right on. You guys, be encouraged. Be strong. Don't listen to the media. Uh, light is prevailing. Truth will prevail. God raises up kings. God takes them down. He doesn't use CNN to do that, nor does he use lying, cheating, or stealing. Remember that. So stand strong. It's going to be great. And Seth, we love you. God bless you guys for being with us. Take care until next time. Have a great Christmas, by the way. Right, Gina? That's right. We won't Merry see you guys Christmas. again. Until, yeah, we won't see you until the new year. So God bless you guys. Well, thank you guys for tuning into that exclusive conversation with Pastor Jack Hibbs and over a hundred different pastors from the state of California who tuned in to hear that roundtable discussion live with myself. That was an incredibly generous and wonderful offer from Pastor Jack. And I want you to take advantage of it, but honor system here, okay? This is only available <clears throat> to churches and individuals who don't have the means to cover my travel expenses and a small honorarium to be able to fly me out and speak at your church and get you to build that DNA of life in your church, that pro-life scaffolding in your mind that will send you out equipped to defend life and putting in place the ministries, organizational resources to help you take the next step in entering the culture wars to defend life and advocate on behalf of our pre-born neighbors. And so if that's you and you're kind of out of the way and it's a long drive from the airport and you don't have the funds to bring out a speaker like myself, please take up on Pastor Jack's offer to partner with you to cover all of those fees to take the next step for life. No excuses. It's time to get off the bench and engage the culture for life. We need the Church of Christ, those who have been redeemed by the prenatal Christ, who entered human history in a womb, whose presence in human history we're about to celebrate, to advocate for the life and dignity of other children created in his image. No excuses. I will see you at your church. Email me at seth at sethgruber.com to take advantage of Pastor Jack's offer. We'll see you next week. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. I'll see you on the battlefield.